turn to Mark chapter 4. We're going to be in verses 35 through 41 this morning. Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. And on that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in a boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Let's begin with prayer this morning. Father, we do thank you for this story, this story that many of us heard as children over and over again. We thank you for the, the God of this story. We thank you for Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and the authority that we see displayed as he calms the seas with just his words. Lord, we thank you for the lessons that are in this passage for us. I pray that you will give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Help us to take the message that we need, apply it to our hearts and our lives. And Lord, just as Jesus desired in the lives of his disciples, I pray that you will help our faith to grow as we look at the scripture this morning and that your spirit will work in our hearts, for it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. As we look at this passage, we are about to enter the first of a series of historical contexts again, where Jesus Christ's authority and power is going to be once again demonstrated. Mark never leaves his theme for the book. Remember Mark chapter 1, verse 1? Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The problem is it's easy to say that, but do we really understand all that it entails? All that it means for Jesus Christ to have been the Son of God? The Gospel of Mark is here to basically tell us what that means. How it works. What he's going to do. And again, the service and the sacrifice will be a part of his whole ministry as he's here. But here we're going to see the first of these accounts. Jesus Christ's authority over nature. We're going to move from that into chapter 5 and see his authority once again over demons. And very powerful demons at that. And then at the end of that chapter 5, his authority over sickness and over death. But as we get into all these things, it's amazing to see what was already predicted back in the book of Psalms. Were you listening as David read this morning? I learned something new this week as I was studying this passage. I had no idea that Psalm 107 alluded to the calming of the seas, but it does. Psalm 107 is a a psalm of rejoicing. Again, David read for us in the beginning of that passage, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, who he has redeemed from troubles. And the rest of that psalm talks about all the different kinds of troubles in life that God redeems people from and calls them to himself and brings them to where he wants them to be. And in the midst of that passage, we have the coming of a storm. If you look at verse 25 of that passage, it says, For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. Isn't that an interesting perspective? When you read the book of Mark, who's responsible for the storm in the book of Mark? We're not told. 
The book of Psalms tells us when there are storms like that, especially on the Sea of Galilee, and we'll describe that in just a moment, said God commanded those things. Verse 26, they mounted up to the heaven, they went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits' end. And we are going to see the disciples in exactly that position. It's amazing because at least four and possibly up to seven of the disciples were fishermen. They knew the Sea of Galilee, but they didn't know this Sea of Galilee. Because God is about to teach them a lesson and break into their lives once again and bring them back to the growth that they need to have in faith. And then verse 28 of Psalm 107. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. And again, I love this passage and the way it brings us to part of what Jesus Christ is trying to teach the disciples. When you think of the calming of the sea, is God's steadfast love the first thing that comes to mind? Be honest. You know, I think of that and I think, I think of power. I think of majesty. I think of awe. As the disciples looked and saw what Jesus Christ was able to do with, and I think in the Greek it's actually two simple words, not three like it is in English. He just calms the seas totally from this huge storm. And then the focus is right back on the steadfast love of God and his wondrous works. In fact, the end of that chapter 107, the Psalm 107 says this, Whoever is wise... How many of you have been here on Wednesday nights? We've been talking about being wise, and here we go again in Psalm 107. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let him listen up, and let him consider the steadfast love of the Lord. So as we look at this passage today, as we begin getting into this calming of the sea, as we see the disciples who are going to cry out at the end of this, and remember, these disciples have already spent a considerable amount of time with Jesus Christ. They have seen him heal the sick. They have seen him cast out demons. They have seen him befuddle the Pharisees and the scribes. They have seen him teach like no one else. But at the end of this experience, they are going to cry out, Who then is this? Who is this in the boat? As he calms the storm. We're going to see, first of all, as we look at this passage, the searching for the calm. Look at verses 35 and 36. It says, on that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, he, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. The story begins searching for calm. Again, what's been going on? You remember what we've been teaching and talking about and looking through in chapters 3 and 4. Jesus comes back to Capernaum. And when he comes back to Capernaum for ministering in the region, What happens? The crowds begin to throng upon him again, so much so that his family comes to rescue him. He's lost his mind. He has no time to rest, no time to catch up, no time to just relax over the things that are happening as all of these folks are coming and all of this is happening and he continues to teach and he continues to heal and do all of these things. And then at the end of that, he teaches in the parables. And chapter 4 is all about these parables that he's teaching, and the crowds continue to throng to the point that if you look at chapter 4, verse 1, we're told there that he has to get into a boat and go out onto the Sea of Galilee in order not to be crushed by the crowd. So all of this is happening, and at the end of this, as we come to the end of chapter 4, 
Jesus and the disciples are exhausted. They've been ministering hour after hour, day after day, to the point that it says on that day, on the day when he's doing all this teaching and all this healing, when the evening had come, he says to his disciples and followers, let us go to the other side. And as we read chapter 5, we find they are leaving the populated northwest area of the Sea of Galilee, and they are traveling to the eastern side where there aren't very many towns, where there aren't very many villages. And they're doing that, number one, because Jesus has a divine appointment with a demoniac on the other shore. But secondly, because they're looking for a time of calm, a time of respite, a time of catching up with themselves, a time of just relaxing a little bit from all the pressure of the crowds. So on that day, Jesus says, get in the boat. And what does he tell the disciples? What's the only instruction he gives them? We're going over to the other shore. Does Jesus have a plan? Is Jesus working out his plan? I mean, the boats are already there. They brought the boats. He's been teaching from the boats. And so we see here that he's got these disciples. And again, he doesn't have room in one boat for everybody. So it says, and the boats were with him. So there were probably a couple of boats. And so here they are with these boats, getting ready and traveling. And yet, with the idea that there's an appointment that Jesus needs to make across the way. The interesting thing is, and it's speculation, but I thought it was interesting as I was studying this, most folks believe that these boats are probably still the boats owned by Peter, Andrew, James, and John. They left their fishing, they followed Jesus Christ, but even their boats were at Jesus' disposal. We think that because, remember John chapter 21? Peter has denied Jesus Christ, the crucifixion has taken place, the resurrection has happened, Peter is still despondent about things, and he looks at some of the disciples and says what? Let's go fishing. They didn't have to go buy boats. They got in the boats and they went out fishing. And so it's probably these same boats that they've made available to Jesus Christ. And as they get in these boats and they go with Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is about to display his astounding divine power one more time. Just for his disciples. Just for those who are walking with him. And it's designed to move them to genuine faith. And we'll see that in the questions that he asks. Now again, you need to understand where they are. In the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is the lowest below sea level freshwater sea in all the face of the earth. It's about 640, 690. I don't remember the exact. I should have looked it up. But it's over 600 feet below sea level. And the importance of that is... Some of you have been over there and you've visited the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is kind of surrounded by these hills that go up and cliffs. And so it sits down in a bowl. And what can happen in the Sea of Galilee is it can be calm and tranquil at one moment. And then suddenly the winds will kick up. And they come rolling down those cliffs. They come rolling down those hills. And when the wind... From the top, hits the moist air in the bottom. This cold air hits the moist air and warm air in the bottom. There's a a whole tumult that takes place. And suddenly the sea can be really churned up quickly. And Peter, Andrew, James, and John, they're aware of that. They've been fishermen who fished there all their lives. And so this is the sea that's happening there. And yet they get into the boats. And when you get into a boat with Jesus Christ and he says, we're going over to the other shore, are you worried about the storms? They didn't get in the boats worried about a storm because they're with Jesus. And so they get into those boats and it goes on to tell us that Jesus is exhausted. It's interesting to see the human as well as the God-man side, the deity side of Jesus Christ. 
He's exhausted. He, in his human flesh, has been pushing and pressing and healing and teaching and ministering to everybody who came without exception. And they get in the boats, and it's interesting. Did you you look back again at the beginning of this passage in verse 35? Or in verse 36, it says, And leaving the crowd, they took him with them on the boat. And then what does it say? Just as he was. What does that mean? Jesus is tired. He's been preaching. They don't go back to the houses to get out. Let's get ready for a vacation across the lake or anything else. Right where he is, right where he was, in need of rest, in need of relaxation, in need of sleep, they take him and they, they take him to the boat. And they get the boats and they go. And Jesus, according to this passage, goes into the back of the boat on a cushion and falls asleep. Now, as we look at all of these things, we need to realize that there's a purpose for this. There's a storm coming. And we get to verse 37, and it says, And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? You see, they start out in this tranquil journey. And if you look over at Luke chapter 8, one of the parallel passages to this. The idea is almost that they were cruising along and the idea in the Greek is that the winds were blowing favorably and just kind of pushing them along so they don't even have to do much rowing to get where they're going. The winds are blowing them exactly where Jesus told them they were going to go and life was going really well. Can you imagine Peter, Andrew, James, and John? You think they'd had to toil with boats before. They're tired. They get in the boat. Jesus goes to sleep in the back and the boat is being carried along with the wind, and it's like, isn't it wonderful traveling with Jesus? You know, we have very little to worry about. And then it says in verse 37, and a great windstorm arose. That word in Greek is a, is a very picturesque word, windstorm. It's like a fierce gale. It, is, it describes violent winds in a powerful storm. So as they're just cruising along, suddenly those winds break down over the cliffs and the hillsides. Suddenly that cold air hits the warm air. And a huge storm comes up out of nowhere, as far as the disciples can tell. And so as it goes on, it says not only that, but the boat is already filling. So what are the disciples doing? Any of you ever been on a boat? Ever had it start filling up with water? Not a good thing. So they're bailing out the boat. They're trying to get things. And again, if you read the story in Matthew and the story in Luke, you'll see they're doing all they can. To stay afloat because this storm has come and it's a big storm. It's a problem. And in the midst of that storm, verse 38 tells us what about Jesus Christ? He was in the stern asleep on a cushion. Jesus is exhausted. Now, of everybody in the boat, there's only one person that's not worried right now. Do Peter, Andrew, James, and John understand the importance of keeping the water out of the boat? And they're doing their best. And they're struggling with this storm. And they look around, and where is Jesus? The one person who could fix this in a moment is where? He's asleep in the back. Now, put yourself in Peter, Andrew, James, and John's shoes as this is happening. Because, again, Mark and even Luke and Matthew don't give us all the details, obviously, of what's going on here. How long did they bail before they woke Jesus up? We don't know. But think about it for a minute. Peter... James, John, probably Andrew too, but you got any pride there? You think Peter was a proud man? You think the sons of thunder were proud men? They are fishermen. If anybody can handle a storm in a boat and get the boat where it belongs, 
You want Peter, Andrew, James, and John in the boat. And so here they are in the boat, and the boat is taking on water to the point where they are panicked. They are afraid. This, the sea is totally turned over. In fact, Matthew uses the word seismos in there, the word that we use for earthquakes. That's the kind of turmoil happening on the Sea of Galilee, and these men are in the boat, and Jesus is sleeping in the stern, exhausted. Do you want to wake Jesus up? Yeah, you do in a way. But in another way, do you want to be, and again, we're not told who, but if I, unless I miss my guess, I would guess Peter would probably be the one to go wake him up. Peter's got no qualms about doing things nobody else wants to do. But you're sitting there looking, and the Lord's exhausted. And you are fishermen. You know this lake. And suddenly you realize you are in over, almost literally, over your head. What do you do now? And it says here in the passage, as we continue reading, very simply, and again, I, I wonder in my sanctified imagination exactly how this happened, but it says, and they woke him. How do you think they woke Jesus as they're looking at this boat that's about to sink in this huge storm, waves probably 10, maybe 15 feet high, maybe more, crashing around them. They have lost control of everything. They are panicked and they realize there's only one chance left. Do you think they went over and they casually tapped him on the shoulder and said, Jesus, Jesus? They're panicked, okay? And so they're going over there. And you can see the panic in the different versions of this story when you read them because in the book of Mark, we're told that they looked, and what did they say to him? As we're going through this passage, they say, Teacher! In Luke and in Matthew, one one passage, they call him Master. And in other passages, they call him Lord. I'm guessing they were all calling him something, but it's like, we need you now. If ever we needed you, we need you now. And isn't it interesting the realm in which they realized they needed Jesus Christ. The one place they ought to have been self-sufficient. On the, on the lake. The place they'd spent their whole lives. But in a panic, they're terrified by the wind. They're terrified by the waves. It just underscores the whole nature of this storm. And so in their panic, they wake Jesus up. And what did they say? Look again, look again at the passage. They wake Jesus up, and what do they say to him? Lord, teacher, master, do you not care that we're perishing? Now, again, there's not punctuation in the Greek. So they got a question mark here. I think I like Luke better. Luke's got an exclamation point. Do you not care that we're perishing? Look at what's happening around us, and you're sleeping. Now, did the disciples really think that Jesus needed a lesson in how to treat his disciples? What brings them to the point where they wake Jesus up and they don't just say, the boat's sinking, help. They say, do you not care? Because there's a faith lesson here. We're about to see that. Jesus Christ is going to underline it. There's a lesson for you and me here. I don't get in boats very much. I'm not much of a fisherman. You know, if I throw a line in, it's supposed to hit it then and then I take it home and I cook it and I eat it. So I don't want to spend a whole day out on the lake. Those of you who do, Lord bless you. I don't. I don't want to be on the lake and have a storm come up. And here are these men in the, at the lake, in the boat, with this storm coming up. And they look at Jesus Christ and they say, You don't understand, Lord. We know the lake and we're about to die. Do you not care? You're sleeping. They know who has the power. And at the same time, their fear has replaced their faith in Jesus Christ. Because they think they're about to perish. And so they wake him up and say, Lord, don't you even care? You will always get to the point 
of wondering if Jesus Christ cares when you let the fear of the situation you're in or the frustration blind your eyes to who he is. Mark told us who he was. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Is the Son of God going to drown in the Sea of Galilee? See, if the disciples have been listening carefully, Jesus has already alluded to the fact that he has an appointment in Jerusalem one day. And they are going to crucify Jesus. And he is going to shed his blood for the sins of mankind. He is not going to drown on the lake in the Sea of Galilee. But the disciples, in their panic, have forgotten everything they may or may not have heard. And Psalm 107 really does give us a good picture of where they were. They were stumbling around like drunken men in a panic. And they wake Jesus up and they say, don't you care? And then Jesus is going to literally fulfill what we read in Psalm 107. Look at verses 39 and 40. And he awoke. Again, I wish I could see this. I'm sure he didn't wake like I get up in the morning. I'm not a morning person. You know, I've got to stretch a couple times. I've got to look around. I've got to think, is it really morning? Do I really have to get out of bed? And, you know, it, it, again, I would love to see that. You know, Jesus Christ just kind of stretching and taking his time while they're panicked. He's not panicked. And it just says here, very simply, he awoke. And again, you look at the next words and it's like, shouldn't there be more to the script than this? He awoke, he rebuked. Look at what it says. He rebuked the wind and said to the sea. And again, in the English, we don't get quite the same translation. These words are very colorful in the Greek. When we get the word peace, the word is a word that means to be silent. The process of becoming calm after a storm, it started to be used for. But it was also used by saying, just be quiet. And so you've got a howling wind and you've got all of these waves. And the scripture tells us, he said that to the wind and the sea. And it's interesting because the second word here is another word of being ceasing to make a sound. Being calm. And so it's like he looks at the wind and he says, quiet. He looks at the waves and says, be calm. They're in a storm. The boat's about to sink. How long does it take? It says, and the wind ceased, and there was great calm. When Jesus Christ said the words, these panicked fishermen, thinking they're about to die, suddenly it goes from howling winds, whipping up everywhere, terrifying these men, to silence. It goes from waves crashing over the boat that they're frantically trying to pitch back into the sea to a sea of glass. In fact, we we know how calm it was because... Mark uses that word in there. There was a great calm. It's just not calm. It's a great calm. It's like they had stepped out onto the seashore on a night with no wind, with no waves, and just a calm across the seas. Do you think that had any impact on the disciples when they saw that? How many times do you think in Peter and James and John's lifetime and Andrew's lifetime had they been out on a stormy sea of Galilee and seen that? It doesn't happen like that. The winds slowly subside. The waves will still come crashing for a while because of the effect of all that on the sea. You don't just say be still and suddenly nothing. But when the Savior, the creator of the world, stands in your boat and says, peace, be still, there's perfect calm. And we see the reaction on these, on, the, on these disciples once you see the calming of the storm. And we see the next verse in verse 40. And he said to them, Now if it were you, what would you have said to the disciples at this point? Jesus is sleeping in the back of the boat. 
as far as Jesus is concerned, everything's okay. The disciples are panicked and ready to die. And in the midst of all that, he says, why are you so afraid? I'm glad that Peter doesn't say anything at the moment. You think Peter had an explanation for him? Oh, Lord, a couple minutes ago, didn't you see the wind? Didn't you see the waves? Didn't you realize that that cushion you're laying on is getting wet? You know, there's a good reason we were panicked. And they're silent. They're probably, can you imagine? I'm th- they're silent, standing there, gazing in unbelief with their mouths hanging open. What just happened? And Jesus looks, and he's not just there to demonstrate his power. He is there to do that. But there's a purpose behind it. And what's the purpose? Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? The disciples knew the danger they were in. They were ready to die. Jesus Christ looks at them and said, Why were you afraid? Because your problem's not the external, your problem's the internal. He said, Have you still no faith? Have you still no faith that I am in control? Have you still no faith that when you're in the presence of the Savior, things are going to be okay? They may not be like you want them to be. There may be problems along the way, but Jesus Christ looks and says, you know, the greatest danger here is not the wind. It's not the wave. It's, what have you done with me? Do you you understand who I am? Do you understand how I work? Do you understand Mark chapter 1, verse 1, what it means when it says Jesus Christ, the Son of God? They were getting a new lesson here. Jesus Christ is taking a nap and he's still turning the page on the curriculum. Here's another lesson that his disciples need. And so he looks at them and he says, you know, have you no faith? Jesus kind of answers his own question. Why were you afraid? You were afraid because you don't have enough faith. You don't believe. And he takes this story and he applies it that way for you and for me as well. You ever afraid? You ever worried? You ever wondering, God, don't you care? If we're honest... Most of us are going to come to the point sometimes when the storms of life in our lives get to the point where we look and say, God, if you really cared, would I be here? Why why would you put me here? Why would you let this happen in my family? Why would you let me get this prognosis from the doctor? Why did I get cancer or some uncurable disease? Why am I the one who has all all these financial problems? As soon as I get on top, I fall right back down the hill. Don't you care? The storms of life are crowding in, and Jesus Christ wants to teach us that he's a God of steadfast love. He said, well, where do you get that from this passage? You go back to Psalm 107 when it was predicted in the first place. God said, I want you to praise me for the things that I've done. When you're in the midst of the storm, I want you to remember who I am. Don't forget who I am. Don't forget that my presence is there. Don't forget that I want to do all these things to bring you to be more like myself. That I want your faith to grow. And you need to learn that we can trust him in what even looks like the most helpless situations. Because God, Jesus Christ, our Savior is in control. He knows what's going on. And that's what he's trying to teach these disciples, that even though their lives were at stake, Jesus is more, important, is more concerned about the status of their faith. Where's their faith? How is it working? And then look at the disciples in verse 41. And they were filled with great fear. Why are they filled with fear? Didn't the storm just cease? 
There's no more waves. There's no more bailing. There's no more we're going to perish. But it says they were filled with great fear. Why? Because they said to one another, who then is this? Did they know who it was? They are looking at Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and suddenly realize nobody does that to the Sea of Galilee but the Creator. God is in our boat. And they weren't like a lot of our modern folk anymore. You know, warning you about things. When you, write, when you sit and watch that commercial and it said, Jesus gets us. Throw something at your television. Don't listen to it. Now, yes, he, does. he understood his disciples. But we've got whole advertising plans out there saying, Jesus gets you. And what they're trying to say is, he gets you that you're a sinner and it's okay. No, it's not. He gets you, but it's not okay. He, he gets you when things aren't working the way that you wanted to get, and you're all frustrated, and he does, but it's not okay. And what that whole advertising scheme is telling you is giving you a wrong picture of Jesus Christ. Did he get his disciples? You know, what do you want if you're a disciple about the time Jesus comes to see? You were in panic. You were fearful. Jesus Christ comes to see. Suddenly you realize God's in your boat. Don't you want a little pat on the back? There, there, it'll be okay. I get you. And what does Jesus do? He looks at him and says, do you not understand yet? Your faith in me is key, and it's got to grow. And he's teaching them even in the midst of the fear. And they feared, it says here, look at the verse 41. And they were filled with great fear. And again, the idea there is not only were they fearful, but they were more fearful when the seas calmed than they were when their lives were at risk. This is great fear because they realize, I am in the presence of God. This is Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. And when you look at people who experience God in the flesh throughout Scripture, not one of them looks and says, oh, he gets me. They're fearful. And again, we've been taught so many times that, well, fear in the Bible always means reverence. No, it doesn't. There are times when it does. And I'm sure they were reverent, but these men weren't just reverent. The word here, when you see the word fear that comes up here, is a state of severe distress, a concern for impending pain and danger. When they looked at the guy who was in their boat, who just stilled the seas and the winds with one word, they were terrified. God is in this boat, and I know who I am. I know the sin in my life. I know the problems I have. And Jesus Christ doesn't be rebuke them for anything but the fact of, I want you to believe I am who I am. And Mark's going to get it one day looking back because that's why he started his book with Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The one with whom we have to do. We're going to give an account one day to this God. And we ought to have that kind of fear to think, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, with all that power, He's going to die to redeem us. It ought to bring us to contemplation like never before. And so here are these disciples, filled with great fear, saying to one another, who then is this? Knowing knowing full well that this is the creator. Because with all their experience, none of them, none of them had experienced anything like this before. None of them has seen that sea do what it just did. None of them have seen the winds do what they just did. And they all knew exactly when and why it happened. And we miss some of this when we look at the story sometimes. But it happened immediately. Immediately. Huge storm. Gone. Perfect calm present at the word of Jesus Christ because of his power. 
because of his authority, because of who he is. And so as we bring this to a conclusion this morning, I'm not going to go very far with it. I want you to go home with this thought. I don't want you to get caught up with anything else. What does it mean to us? It's a great story. You know, this is a story that even works with flannel graph. You remember flannel graph? We saw flannel graph. My, my wife's a flannel graph lady. You want to see flannel graph, you come see her. It works great. That's where I probably first saw it. It's a great story. It's, it's, it captivates your imagination, but it's not there for that. It's there to teach you something. It's there for your faith and mine, just like it was there for the disciples' faith. And so, in conclusion, we need to look at some things. And I love the way that, that Wearsby brings this together when he says there's three good reasons why none of the men in that ship should have been disturbed. Easy for him to say, isn't it? Wearsby wasn't out in the, middle of the, in the middle of the lake. My guess is if Wearsby was there, if I was there, if you were there, we'd have been bailing for everything we were worth and we'd have been waking him up. Saying, Lord! And so we look at this and what do we learn? Number one, when you're going through the disturbances of life, the storms of life, you've got to remember that Jesus Christ has promised us certain things. And to the disciples, he promised them they were going to the other side, didn't he? Don't forget that. He starts the story by saying, get in the boat, we're going over there. He didn't say we're going to try to go over there. He didn't say we might come over there. He said, get in the boat and we're going over there. So where should they have believed they were going? They weren't going down. They were going over there. And when you get through life, you've got promises. All things work together for good to those who love God. Well, it doesn't feel very good today. So am I going down or am I going over there? God says, you're going over there. Because Philippians 1, 6, those things, that which I've begun in you, I will perform. I will make you like Jesus Christ. And some days are going to be wonderful and some days are going to be stormy days. But Jesus Christ is with us in the midst of all those days. His spirit is carrying us through and he's going to bring us to where we belong one day. Secondly, these men had no reason to be disturbed because the Lord himself was with them. And I don't even know how to to get my mind around that. He was with them in the flesh. God in the flesh, actually with them in the boat. Is God going to drown? But in the midst of the problems, they couldn't even get their mind around that. And yet, is God with you? You remember when the disciples were struggling so bad because Jesus had told them in John chapter 14, 15, I'm going away and you can't come with me? You know, we give Thomas a hard time for doubting after the resurrection we got to give him points because he's like, well, why can't I go with you? I want to go with you. And Jesus is like, well, you can't because I'm going to go away and I'm going to send you my spirit. And he will be with you always. Because he won't be with you, he will be in you. Do we ever forget that in the storms of life? In the problems that we face? Because the problems loom so large. And, and, and I love this story because the problem probably doesn't loom any larger than the boat's going down and the winds are kicking up worse and the waves keep coming across and everything looks like it's falling apart. And Jesus says, I got this. I got this because of who I am. Because of the power that I have. And I have you in the midst of all this. God has us. And thirdly, These men shouldn't have been so disturbed because Jesus was at perfect peace, even in the midst of the storm. I know he planned this. Jesus wasn't surprised by the storm. Jesus didn't wake up and say, wow, I didn't expect this. 
It was a teaching opportunity for his disciples. But the fact that he was still asleep, I look at how can somebody sleep in a boat that's pitching this way and that way? Water's coming in, everything's getting wet. You think the disciples were, shh, don't wake up Jesus while they're pitching out water? You know, you got these men frantically doing what they can. And Jesus calmly sleeps through all of that because Jesus isn't wondering and Jesus isn't worried. We get in trouble when we wonder and we worry. And Jesus is reminding his disciples, I'm here with you. And he's going to remind them again, my spirit will be there with you always. His presence is there. I don't know what your storm is today. I don't know what it is that may come. And you may be saying, hey, I'm just smooth sailing like the beginning of that story. Look out. The winds can change quickly. But when they do, God ordained it. It's a teachable opportunity. Jesus Christ, his spirit is with you. And he's got it all under control. Because it's a teachable moment to make us more like himself. And it ought to bring us to Psalm 107 again. You remember Psalm 107? Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. God has bailed us out so many times. And in the midst of this storm, what does he want us to do? Recount his steadfast love. His faithfulness. That word steadfast love, again, I try to pronounce it in the Hebrew, but I'll get in trouble later because my Hebrew is terrible. But pronouncing that word, that word is the idea of God's covenant love and faithfulness with his people. He loves you. He loved you enough to die for you. He loved you enough to pay the, de- the, de- the penalty for your sin. And we look at him in the midst of the problems of life and suddenly we forget some of that. And this story is to bring us back to remember. Remember who he is. Remember what he does. Remember how he works. So that in the midst of trials, and you will have trials, we could take Philippians 4, 6, and 7 and say, don't be anxious about anything. Doesn't just say don't be anxious, does it? says, don't be anxious about anything. Well, Pastor, you just don't understand what I'm going through. No, I may not. But the one who's within you does. And he said, don't be anxious. Pray with thanksgiving. Psalm 107, remember what I've done for you in the past. Praise me for who I am and the way I work. And trust me to do it again this time because I will. It may not end like you want it to end. It may not end like you envisioned it, but it'll end the way I've got it for you. And I've got you. Trust me. Let your faith grow. Believe I am who I said I am. And let it change your life, even during life's storms. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for a very, very familiar story once again. But a story that's not just there to amuse us, to entertain us, but to teach us. God, I pray that you'll help us to learn the lesson that you had for your disciples that day. Lord, help us to place our faith and trust in you, regardless of the way circumstances look to us. Help us to believe that you are the God who loves us with that steadfast love, that you've redeemed us, that you've bailed us out so many times before, and God, that you are there to work in our lives. And whatever the storm may be, whatever the problems may be, whether we're facing it today or we face it in days to come, may we trust the God who has things all under control, the one who can still the storm in a moment's notice just because of who he is. We thank you and praise you for our Savior, Jesus Christ, for his power, for his authority, for the fact that he loves each one of us. For it's in Christ's name we pray.